Hey, uh, delighted to have Chris Koenig uh, back with us from Woodside, one of the pastors at Woodside Bible Fellowship. Thank you, Chris, for being with us today. Of course, it's always a pleasure. Uh, good morning again, Wallenstein. It is so, so good to be with you all. Um, I always say it's kind of like sleeping over at Grandma's when I get to visit. Uh, you really, you are a second home to me. Um, and I often forget to do this, but hi from Woodside. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but we're your fault. And <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's faithfulness from this congregation that has given me a church home. So thank you. Um, does anybody here get called solely by a nickname? Some of you? Yeah, I see a couple. Excellent. My son's name is Gideon, but we pretty much solely call him Bub or Bubby Boy because when he was little, he bub, 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 bub. So he just gets called Bub now. And I remember uh, in grade six, I went off to middle school, new school for me, uh, met a whole bunch of new friends, one of which introduced himself to me as Gabby. And I liked this guy. We quickly became friends. We hung out together. We played sports together. A few months into school, we had a substitute teacher. So she starts going through the class list, doesn't know everybody, Tammy here, Chris here, Brandon. I'm like, we don't have a Brandon in this class. And then Gabby goes, here. I nearly collapsed. <laughs> Felt lied to. I had no clue that Gabby was just a nickname given by a hockey coach who thought Brandon talked too much. Talk about a traumatic experience. Well, friends, we are in week five of a series called The Names of God. And have you been enjoying it thus far? I've been watching them online. It has really blessed me. I feel like I have grown closer to the Lord through this series. Um, you've had a few of them, and almost all of the names thus far have been God revealing himself to one guy or parts of his family. Do you know, remember who it is? Abraham? Everybody's eyes are closed and no heads are nodding. Nice. <laughs> Well, this morning is no different. We'll be looking at Abraham and an interaction that he had with God where God showed himself. God revealed part of his character and nature to Abraham through this name, El Shaddai. This is in Genesis 17. And I want to remind us this morning that these names for God are not nicknames. They're not God giving us shorthand ways to address him. These are real names that have real weight and significance. They're, as was said this morning, they're God revealing his character to us. So what does God say to Abraham this time around? We're going to find this conversation in Genesis 17. And over the last few weeks, you've kind of gone through Genesis 14, 15, and 16. So I want to just do a brief refresher before we get there. So way back in Genesis 12, Abraham's living way off in the middle of nowhere. God appears to him and calls him to go to a new land. He's still called Abram at that point. And God promises that he's going to make him into a great nation. And Abram obeys, and you heard already about Abram rescuing his nephew Lot, and then last week about his wife Sarai and her servant Hagar. So to summarize, now Abram is living in the land of Canaan. He has a wife, Sarai. He has a son by his servant Hagar named Ishmael. And now we will come 
to chapter 17 where God shows up radically to Abram for the fourth time. I'm going to begin by reading the whole chapter for us and then we'll unpack it. Uh, It won't be on the screen, but in your pew Bibles, it's page 11, I believe. It's early on. So Genesis 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, and this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised." You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant." Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house 
Those born in his house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the weekly reminder of the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the sunshine. And thank you for your word. Lord God, we are grateful that through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, we as believers can know you, we can understand you, and we pray that you would reveal yourself to us more fully today. We worship you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin, I want to just summarize the narrative and then start taking away some things from it. So We get 99-year-old Abram to begin, right? He's already living in the land that God had called him to journey to. That's 24 years earlier. And at that point, in Genesis 12, God promised this to Abram. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram goes to the land, and once he's there, God shows up again and says to him, I'm going to give your descendants this land. And later, God says that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and that Abram's descendants will be his own offspring, counted through his actual son. Now, Abram's wife Sarai is barren, and so they solve the problem of no legitimate offspring by having Abram impregnate their Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, to produce an heir in Ishmael. You heard about that last week. So now this story happens 13 years later, and God shows up. Do you ever read a verse in Scripture and just wish there was way more there? I get that in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, What do you mean the Lord appeared? What do you mean said to him? Was God visible? Was God audible? Is this what theologians call a theophany, where a pre-incarnate Christ somehow makes himself visible in some manner? Well, whatever is happening here, God shows up for Abram. And God reveals a new part of himself to Abram. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God Almighty. This is the Hebrew name El Shaddai. We'll come back to this name for God in a moment, but let's just unpack the rest of the interaction first. So God says, I want to make a covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Abram's probably standing there like, yep, you've already said that in Genesis 12 and 15. This has already been a promise. And God says, yeah, I I did promise you those things to make you a great nation, to give you the land that you are in, and those promises are unconditional. There was nothing reciprocal. Abram didn't have to do anything. This is just God saying, I'm going to do this for you because I'm God. But now God makes a new covenant with Abram. He says, on top of what I've already promised you, I'm not only going to make you into a great nation, but into a multitude of nations. And I will be your God and their God forever. Kings are going to come from your line, and the land will be yours forever. 
And so God changes Abram's name to Abraham to signify the reality of this promise. Abram means like honored father, where Abraham means the father of many. So one nation into many and an everlasting connection to God and to the land. But you likely noticed that God had terms for this covenant. It was contingent on obedience from Abraham. And God said that Abraham's part to play in this arrangement was circumcision. So let's just get the collective squirm out of the way. Good? Okay, now we can move forward. So this introduces the standard for God's chosen people. Okay? God says that every male who is a part of Abraham's family from now until forever including slaves and foreigners who want to be included in the family of God, must be circumcised. And God relays the significance of this command while making kind of a great pun in verse 14 by saying that any man who is not cut off will be cut off from the people. That, that God is actually taking this so seriously that this physical act is actually the sign of whether or not you have a covenant with God. So he's taking this quite seriously. And then God tells Abraham that Sarai is getting a name change too. She's going to be Sarah now, and that she is going to bear a son. And so Abraham laughs. He actually falls on his face laughing because he's 99. She's 90 years old. Are there any couples here this morning in their 90s? You want to get pregnant and raise a boy? Like, maybe the laughter feels fitting, right? It feels like it's belonging. So Abraham tries to draw a logical conclusion. Okay, God must mean Ishmael. He thinks Ishmael must count as Sarah's son since Hagar is her slave girl and having a child through a slave was a relatively common practice at the time. So he kind of blurts out, okay, may, may Ishmael walk before you, God. And God says, yeah, I, I will make Ishmael into a nation as well and bless him. But I am serious that you and Sarah are going to have your own son and you're to name him Isaac and he will be the one through whom this everlasting covenant will be carried. And then God leaves. We read, uh, God went up from Abraham. Again, fascinating. And then did you notice Abraham's response? He obeys immediately that very day, without hesitation. Wow, right? I probably would have dragged my feet a little bit on this one. Like, are you sure, Lord? Does it have to be like this? Give it a couple days. Maybe God will rework the terms of the agreement, at least on my end of things. But no, Abraham obeys right away. That very day, he takes God seriously. That very day, the entire male population of his household was circumcised. And you already heard about this part of Abraham's character um, earlier in the series, in the first week. Do you remember a month ago when Gary preached about God's name being Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yahweh? When God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son on the mountain, Abraham gets up and obeys again, apparently with no hesitation. Well, that story actually comes after this one chronologically, but we're not in a series where we're walking through the patriarchs in order. We're in a series on the names of God, and God gives Abraham a name for himself in verse one. So let's turn our focus there. God says, I am God Almighty. 
Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God Almighty. This is, again, the Hebrew word El Shaddai. So in Hebrew, you've learned this already, the first word, El, simple, basically means God. That one's easy, but Shaddai is a little more complicated. It's not actually something that we know absolutely certainly what it means. The full name, El Shaddai, doesn't appear a lot in our Bibles, five times in Genesis and once in Exodus, so that doesn't really help us get more context. Now, the word Shaddai by itself, without the El, gets used as a name for God a lot in our Bibles, much more frequently. It's often translated just the Almighty. Um, For example, in the book of Job, it gets used 31 times just in that book. Now, the first root word of Shaddai is Shaddad, which basically means to deal violently with, to destroy. And the second root word, Dai, means sufficient or enough. Now, there is a similar word to Shaddai in another language that was prevalent at the time that means mountains. So some people believe that this title for God is the God of the mountains. Uh, seems much less likely than being some combination of these two Hebrew words because of where we get these ideas, destruction and sufficiency, tied with Almighty elsewhere in our Old Testaments. For example, in Isaiah 13, we read, The day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. A Shaddad from Shaddai. It's a pun on purpose. And we actually see that with both concepts, with sufficiency and destruction. And so very likely, both of those ideas are components for this name for God. And although there is question among most Bible scholars as to its precise meaning, El Shaddai probably means like God, the all-sufficient one, or the all-powerful God. This title speaks to God's ultimate power over everything, that he has all of the might and all of the power. One commentator puts it like this. When we see God as the Almighty, we are struck by his power and by the fact that he is indeed a great, mighty, and awesome God. The identity of God as Almighty serves to establish the sense of awe and wonder that we have toward him and the realization that he is God above all things and without limitations. And so most translations in English will render El Shaddai God Almighty. So what does this name for God teach us about him? What is God trying to relay to Abraham and therefore by extension relay to us? And obviously the primary idea in this name for God is his absolute power. The theological term for this is God's omnipotence. Omni meaning all, potent meaning power, meaning God is in absolute control of himself and his creation. God's power is universal. Job says it very clearly in Job 42, I know that you, God, can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. God Almighty can do all. All things. No plans that God has can be stopped. So let's just sit there for a minute. God can do all 
things. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. I love when kids tell us the truth. That's the truth. God is over everything. So let's take a minute and marvel. This is the God who created from the word of his mouth all things from nothing. No pre-existent materials from nothing. Romans 1 reminds us that part of what is inexcusably on display in creation is God's eternal power. By the strength of his hand, he sustains all things. Life and death rests in the hand of God. He brings souls into being from nothing. He's the all-sufficient one. And the other side of his power is that nothing can stand against him. He is stronger, more able, more capable than any other thing. There is no ruler whose power exceeds God's. There is no technology that is more powerful than God. There is no ideology that is more powerful than God. God is almighty. Now included in this name for him is not only God's creative ability, that he's actually the only creator. Did you know that? That in Hebrew, the word for create is bara, and it only gets used of God. That like human beings, we can make stuff, but only God creates. So not only is God creator, but also in this idea is God's sovereignty. That God rules over everything. It's not only that God made all of the stuff very powerful, but that he continues to be in charge of all of the stuff. Very powerful. Nothing exists outside of God's control. His power is without limit. He cannot be hyperextended. He can do anything he wants whenever he wants. He spoke the universe into existence. Furthermore, he answers to no one as to his plans and purposes. Are you sitting in awe yet? Are you pumped? This is your God. This is what he is like. Are you understanding the boundless nature of God's power? Are you feeling like you want to bow in his presence? Is there a healthy fear welling up inside of you as you look at a being who is so different than you? Good. Sometimes we need the reminder, right? He's not just our buddy. This is God Almighty. We're going to come back to ourselves in a minute. But I do want to zoom in on the context of God revealing this name to his creation. So think about the context for this name of God being revealed. God tells Abraham who he is in relation to a promise he makes. And that is the promise of Isaac. Now you want to recall Genesis 22, week one of the series. That's when God tells Abraham to now go and sacrifice Isaac. Think about the weight of seemingly having to destroy the promise of God and kill your own son. But you saw in the first week what Abraham took comfort in. He reasoned. We're told this in the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith that Abraham reasoned that if Isaac had to die, God would raise him from the dead. Why? Because this is God Almighty. Right? 
This is the God who has total, absolute power. There is nothing this God cannot do. He can resurrect the promised one. And so this name for God, God Almighty, El Shaddai, was enough for Abraham to take faith in. He trusted this name for God to the point that it affected his life. It gave him the courage to obey, to follow through with the commands of God because he knew that this is God Almighty. This name mattered for Abraham's faith. So what about our own faith? How does this name for God affect us in our relationship with God? Now maybe just before we go there, we should get some of the implications or confusing questions that come up from the text out of the way first. So what's the deal? Are we still to be practicing circumcision? Who counts in the covenant God made with Abraham? What still matters for us today? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear throughout the New Testament that circumcision is no longer the sign for who is a part of the family of God. Instead, it is faith in Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That the act of circumcision has no value. It doesn't cause you to be included in the family of God. It also doesn't exclude you from the family of God. For example, hear these words in Galatians 5. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He's talking to Jews who are trying to use the law to be justified before God. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that comes after a long explanation about how the old covenant has not been annulled, but fulfilled in Jesus. And so through Jesus, this covenant that is made with Abraham is fulfilled. Abraham has now become the father of a multitude of nations because every tribe and tongue and nation will know and worship Christ. Not just the Jews, the actual bloodline of Abraham, but us too, the Gentiles. That through Jesus, this multitude of nations can have an everlasting connection with God. That through Jesus, who is the legitimate offspring of Isaac, Isaac now becomes the actual carrier of the covenant. That through Jesus, Abraham has not only fathered kings, but the king of kings. So let's marvel at El Shaddai because God Almighty came to earth. The book of Hebrews begins like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The book of Ephesians, he, Jesus, can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Colossians, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Second Peter, his, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus Christ 
is God Almighty. He's the all-powerful, all-sufficient one. His grace is sufficient for you. And this is the impossible dichotomy of Christ, that somehow God Almighty put on flesh, experienced humanity, meaning God Almighty got tired, got sick, was weak, felt deep emotion, witnessed brokenness firsthand. The fact that God Almighty would humble himself for us in this way makes this name for him all the more remarkable. He is somehow fully God, like actual God Almighty, and simultaneously fully man without any contradiction in his nature. And as Christians, we got to be connecting these names for God to Jesus Christ, like we have been doing all series. These are not nicknames, right? These are components of his nature and character, and they're most clearly seen in Jesus. So, let's work that backwards. If you believe that there is something outside of your Jesus' control... That is a false representation of Jesus. If God's power has limits in your mind, that's a false God. That's not actual God. His power cannot even be fathomed, let alone come up short in human estimation. Jesus is the all-sufficient one. So what is our response to this God? And I would argue that it should be very similar to Abraham's we see right away that Abraham fell on his face. This is a sign of reverence, of worship, of healthy fear. And God had instructions for Abraham that are connected to this name for him, which was to walk before him and be blameless. This has not changed, friends. Your life is to be oriented in such a way that you realize that the steps that you take each day are being walked out in front of God Almighty. So be blameless. Recognize his good standards for your life and align yourself with them. Again, remember Abraham. God instructs him, he obeys. That very day. May that be said of you and I. And again, this isn't, this isn't obedience to earn God's favor. As a child of God, you have God's favor. We obey because we've already been justified, not because we could be justified through our obedience. And so, friends, are you experiencing, witnessing the power of God Almighty in your life? Have you seen God do impossible things in your circumstances? Has he helped you overcome something? Has he brought you through something where you got to witness his power in action? I would guess that for many of us as Christians, we would find it pretty natural to worship God when something like that happens in our lives, right? But what about when we aren't seeing his power? What about when the hard things persist? When that relationship you've been praying about stays sour? Or the diagnosis come back with bad news? 
when the suffering continues? What happens to our hearts when we hear about God Almighty on Sunday, but then on Monday we aren't witnessing his power? That's tough, right? That's tough, friends. That's one of the deepest challenges in life. I know that's true for some of you this morning. You're experiencing unimaginably hard things and are wondering, where? Where is God's power? But I want us to think about Abraham. God tells him, I'm God Almighty. Here's my promise to you if you obey. And Abraham obeys. And then what? Do you ever think about this? Abraham never witnesses the promises fulfilled. You wrestle with that? Apart from Isaac, he doesn't see ownership of the land. He doesn't see his bloodline become a great nation. He doesn't see multiple nations come from his offspring. There aren't even any kings. None of it. And he still obeys. Let that be us, friends. Sometimes resolution, fulfillment of the promise doesn't come in our lifetime. And I know that it can feel like a cheap out to say God will sort it out in eternity. I know that feels like a cheap out, but friends, it isn't. It isn't. That is literally our hope. I believe that faith in God is what sustained Abraham, that he could march his boy up the mountain, the son of the promise, ready to sacrifice him because he knew God Almighty and he knew God Almighty would sort it out. That God would apply resurrection power to his son if need be to keep his promises. And so Abraham was able to find the all-sufficient one sufficient. Knowing God was actually enough for Abraham in his life. So what about us, brothers and sisters? Is Christ sufficient for you? There's this phrase repeated in the Psalms about God, that he's our portion. You heard about that a couple of weeks ago. Like he's, he's all we get. There's an immense power in coming to an actual belief that Jesus is all I need. Like full stop, without a caveat. Like just him. Not Jesus plus status, Jesus plus my job, plus health, plus my wife, plus my kids, plus protection from hardship. Just Jesus. That if my life is misery from my first breath for 80 years till my last, Jesus will still be enough for me. Why? Because God Almighty has resurrected the son of the promise. He's defeated the most powerful part of mortality, death itself. And he has shown himself to be above every other power, principality, name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Friends, our hope as Christians is not in life. It's in death. It's that when the eyes shut and the breath leaves our bodies, that we will actually be more alive than we have ever been before. Because you and I will see face to face God Almighty. His name is Jesus. We celebrated already this morning that he paid for us to be present with him. And he will have made right every wrong. We get the privilege of believing, brothers and sisters, believing that to die is gain, immeasurable gain. Only a God of all power 
could fix every broken thing. And he will. Do you need to hear that this morning? Someday, God is going to fix every broken thing. You got to take faith in that. Believe that, brothers and sisters. Not every promise are you going to see this side of eternity. You will have many things that you long for in this life go unfulfilled. But your hope is not in this life. It's in the next. So let that tangible hope dictate how we relate to people at work, at school, in the community, who we cross paths with, who don't know Jesus. They're not just lacking hope. They're lacking power. They don't know Almighty God. They don't know that their footsteps are being walked out in front of him. And I pray that we as believers in this region would brightly shine Jesus Christ to those who don't believe. I pray that us walking blamelessly before our God and proclaiming the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ would cause people to see him to come into a saving relationship with Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. And God, we acknowledge that your name, El Shaddai, God Almighty, is not simply a nickname. That this is your nature and character. That there is nothing outside of your control. You are all-powerful God, and we worship you this morning. And Lord, we are grateful that that is most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the Son through whom you created all things and rescued us. We are betting our lives on his resurrection. Jesus, we pray that by your spirit you would be impacting us this morning, causing us to be transformed into your likeness, to be made more into your image, that we would look like you because we know you. And we pray for that transformative power to be in action in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.